Welcome back to One Giant Podcast. Along with Andy Makowitz, I am Adam Armbrecht coming to you each and every week talking all things New York football giants. And as we come to you, uh, this is now the tail end of the week here on a Thursday afternoon, so just ahead of Thursday night football, we take a look back here at that Monday night matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles thinking maybe Eli Manning returns for the injured Daniel Jones, an opportunity for a little bit of spark, a little bit of magic, Andy. And we, we almost did it. You know, I wouldn't even say almost, Adam, because it played out exactly how I hoped it would play out. Why? Because Eli looked strong out of the gate, and and then we still lost and maintained that high draft pick? Is that where we're going? I I think that's pretty accurate. And also, um, with uh, a lot of the coaching blunders in the second half and the defense just completely folding and the offense not able to move the ball, we don't have to worry about the current coaching regime uh, sticking around for next year. Yeah, and I mean, listen, we, we can go just briefly inside the numbers on this one here. We all know uh, we had our game predictions out there. I went a little bit bold on Eli Manning. And quite frankly, that first half, if I can pull a patch from quite frankly, the first half had me feeling like, okay, like against a very uh, depleted secondary, a bad defense for the Eagles over the course of this season, opportunities abound there. Uh, Eli connected with our young, now rising rookie wide receiver, Darius Slayton, for a couple of touchdowns in the first half. Had two touchdowns, no interceptions, 179 yards in the first half there. I think going 11 of 19, and then finished the game with, uh, I don't even have it in front of me here, I think 210 yards maybe? Yeah, he finished with 203 yards. Oh, overshot. Adam, in talking about seeing that magic with Eli, our listeners have spoken, and they have a bone to pick with you. Oh, is that right? I mean, this is where they come at me. Yes. So in some of the conversations with our listeners, they told me that in your prediction of this Eagles game, you said that the giants were going to put up 17 points. Uh, Yeah. And then for three touchdowns, I, yeah, all right. As the game, as, as we get closer to the game and just like, as you get closer to the regular season starting, you start to buy into the giants mojo and giants magic. And you call for three Eli Manning touchdown passes. So which one is it? Are you hedging your bets? Or are you just getting getting excited as a fan? The, the listeners want to know. Well, no, okay, honestly, it wasn't about – I still didn't think the Giants were going to win that game. I, you know, I realized it after I made that – after I put that line out there on social media as well. I was like, well, this is – I don't know if people are strong at football math, but this isn't going to add up at all here for the Giants. Um, no, I just I, – I thought that this defense is bad for Philadelphia – and I saw some opportunities. And I, like I said, we saw a play on that first half there where I thought Eli could have some success. Um, you know, we talk about the prediction. If I was a little bit off and the Giants lost, you know, 27-21 or something, uh, I'd still feel pretty strong about where I was at there. If anything, it wasn't about drinking the Kool-Aid necessarily on the Giants getting a victory. This was purely, as we've highlighted on this podcast before, I, I've always been an Eli Manning fan. I, I love what he did for the franchise. I accept that it's, that it's been time to move on from him. I'm not still holding out for Eli Manning in some way. Um, but I, I, I do, I, I love and respect the guy as a quarterback and as a player for this franchise. And I really just, I wanted him to have the best possible game that he could have had coming back. And I, you know, once that first half played out, I really thought, man, this is fantastic. He's going to show everybody what he's capable of, that he's still, you know, proficient quarterback. Doesn't mean he's going to be our starter, but I just wanted to be able to leave on a high note. And I think that's kind of where I got wrapped up there with uh, my prediction. And, and I was so close to the first half. I had it. It was all coming together for me. You you were you were so close, and then halftime happened, 
And uh, obviously the Giants uh, lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in overtime, 23-17. to 17. Giants, for the first time in this entire season, as long as I can remember, were actually out on the right foot. I usually yeah. look up at the scoreboard, Adam, and, you know, it's usually 14-17, nothing right out of the gate. This time the Giants put up 17 in, in the second quarter, and, and at halftime, you know, right before halftime, Eli Manning dropped that beautiful dime to Darius Slayton with 35 seconds to go for a touchdown to put us yeah. up 17-3. And, you know, I said it was the best of both worlds because that throw gave me goosebumps, and it made me feel so, so nice inside. And the, the best part about it was that it was against Philadelphia, and you got to see that, that feeling, you know, of Eli Manning. You know, maybe it's not necessarily the Super Bowl, but the way the team's playing this year, this was our Super Bowl. That first half against the Philadelphia Eagles was the happiest I felt all year. Well, it was nostalgia, right? And like you said, I think that that throw, and again, it's that weird thing because I, I, I can get wrapped up as a pure fan when you start to talk about Eli Manning. One of the things uh, Stephen A. Smith over on his radio show came out and said a lot of very nice things about Eli Manning after the Eagles game and then also concluded it by saying there is no way that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I also then caught some of the Michael K, uh, not the Michael K show, sorry, the uh, Humpty, Canty, and uh, Rothenberg show today where Canty said he 100% should be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think in that one throw, it may sound, this could sound absolutely ridiculous, but in that one touchdown pass to Darius Slayton, it was like the reminder of all of the things that he had ever done for the New York football Giants as the quarterback. And you start to you know, go back to all of those playoff runs that he had and just that one throw, like you said, the perfect, over-the-top, perfect timing in stride. It just – it was everything that you wanted to be reminded about as an Eli Manning fan. And, uh, and it was just beautiful. I, I really I – mean, that really – you're 100% right. It wasn't just a Super Bowl for the Giants this year. It, I think it, this is the kind of thing you wanted to see um, for Eli Manning as, he, as, he's, as his career winds down with the Giants, certainly, if not his entire career, just to have one of those nice moments, right, where you were just – Eli Manning touchdown. I mean, I didn't think I was ever going to get to say that again. Yeah, and, and, and it felt great. And going into halftime, feeling the momentum, you're thinking to yourself, man, the Giants look great. The defense looked phenomenal. They were stuffing the run. Carson Wentz looked lost out there. Uh, you know, you kind of had that feeling at halftime that this game could get out of hand. I mean, Philadelphia has booed Santa Claus before, but they were booing the Eagles off that field mm -hmm. in, in the second quarter. And guess what happens at halftime? And, well, this is part two for you, right? This is, this is the part two about why it was so good because of the uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it, but uh, the ineptitude of our coaching staff? My goodness. The, so at halftime, the Giants are up 17-3, and they think to themselves, well, you know, let's just continue to do the exact same things that we were doing in the first half. And on the other side, you have a fantastic coach in Doug Peterson that says, we need to change things up and we need to do it fast or else – we're going to get blown out here. And they made the necessary changes. Yeah, you know, you look at what the Eagles were playing. They were playing a lot of man in the first half, and Darius Slayton burned them twice. You know, it was a little bit of, of wet weather, so the first touchdown for, for Slayton, he kind of wiggled out of an arm tackle. You know, but the second one, they got roasted deep trying to bring pressure on Eli Manning. And so Doug Peterson came out and said, we are going to play significantly more zone coverage against the Giants in the second half and see – if Eli can, can pick us apart methodically down the field. Mm -hmm. And as you can see from, from the yardage perspective, I think you know, Eli only threw for about 25 uh, yards in the second half. 
they really bottled us up on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, that was a, 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 I'll say, a surprise and a disappointment. And then it does highlight, though, the thing that we've talked about often on our podcast. And, I mean, everyone around the league, I think, has been mentioning this about in-game adjustments. I think that Pat Shermer can develop a game plan, but that is the game plan. There is no deviation. There is no adjustments. There is no reacting to what the other team is trying to do to you. So success in the first half, 17-3. to Peterson goes in, makes some adjustments, comes out. And it's like Pat Shermer doesn't know what to do. He keeps trying to bang on the same drum throughout the second half, doesn't have any success against it. And then, he, you know, I'm not even really going to knock the defense in this one outside of the fact that the Eagles were basically playing four wide receiver sets that consisted of three tight ends spread out across there. And we all know about the debacle at the end of the game in overtime, which by that point, let me just also remind you that uh, I had no illusions that the, that the Giants were going to stop them in overtime on that drive. You could tell. Two long drives uh, in the third and fourth quarter to get touchdowns for the Eagles. You could tell it was, it was wearing down uh, the, defense, the defense for the Giants. So it was just a matter of uh, when, not if, they were going to score in overtime. To go inside a couple of things here, the, the end of the regulation, Do you? and this is maybe people don't care about this as much at this point, but again, Pat Shermer says he's, he's playing a game of chicken, right? Wants to deter the Philadelphia Eagles from going for it on a fourth down from their own, what, 30, 35-yard line? The Eagles weren't going for it in that situation. So instead, Pat Shermer sits on his timeout, waits until it gets down to about 20 seconds, and then effectively gives you no opportunity to take a couple looks there uh, at the end of regulation. Issues for you there? Oh, I mean, the use of challenges and timeouts is just its mind-numbingly frustrating. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone – so my, my wife is sitting next to me, and we're watching the Giants, and – she's saying, why, why is everyone standing around? Like, what is happening right now? And I basically looked at her and said, Pat Shermer's getting out coached literally by the second. Like, yeah. Doug, Doug Peterson is never, never going for it in that situation where if he doesn't pick up the yard, the Giants are in field goal range, they lose the game. Like, right. he, and, and as a Giants fan, you want to have confidence, you know, to be able to say, let's get a timeout. There's about 45 seconds left. If we get the ball, we absolutely have an opportunity to move the ball down the field. Instead, they let 20 seconds go off the clock, and what happens? The, the Giants get the ball, and then we head to overtime. And the second the coin flip went to the Eagles, you're exactly right. I kind of said, well, that was fun. Yeah, and it felt like deja vu because I'll, I'll forget which game it was, but we've seen this before at the end of, at the end of halves, at the end of regulation, where like, heading into the two-minute warning, where Shermer seems to just be getting psyched out by the other coach, getting baited into either using a timeout or not using his timeout and not giving your, your team another chance on offense or extending it so that the opposing offense has a better look. So that was certainly just another one of those highlights uh, that, that let us know, for me personally, uh, that this is not the coaching staff for us, certainly. Um, we can get into, I want to get into, uh, Jordan Renan came out with some information earlier today of some reports that were then highlighted again on Bleacher Report as well. But before we get to that, my final takeaway from this game, and you can uh, you could ask, as you are saying, sitting there with, uh, with Kelly watching, this is the first time that Courtney said she had never heard me this aggravated while watching a Giants game all season long. And it was uh, both that, that, that end of the regulation, but then also the two plays in and around left tackle Nate Soldier. Now, this is a game where they were using the tight end to chip Curry coming off the edge. On These are two plays. There were two sacks in the game on Eli. The first one, the tight end, I believe it was uh, Smith on the first one. It could have been on him on both. But regardless, his job is to 
shuck at that edge rusher, and then get himself out into the flat for a possible pass from Eli Manning. He does a great job, gives Curry a big punch in the chest, pushing him up the field. So now all Nate Soldier has to do is follow the rhythm of the play, move upfield, continue to work the rusher away from Eli Manning, up the field further, let Eli step up and make a throw. Instead, he still gets beat around the edge, even though the play works out exactly as you diagram. He didn't cut inside, and then all of a sudden Nate Soldier's leaning left when he needs to go back right. Nope, exactly how you want to be drawn up, and it works out perfectly, and he gets beat for a sack. And then, again, same exact situation, and instead this time, and this is a little bit nitpicky, I will admit, but once again, the tight end locks up Curry for a minute. All Nate Soldier is supposed to do is get around to that outside and get prepared to pick him up off of the assist block, and instead he trips over his own feet and his tight end's feet, falls down, and it leads to a sack. And this really just highlighted the, the, the level of uh, of, I don't know, frustration, and I'm at that point, right? I think I talked to you after the game. I'm not sure. where I, I'm, I, I'm beyond done with Nate Soldier. There is no moving over to right tackle uh, for me, for him. Like, this needs to be a guy you move on from. I don't care about what it costs you in cap penalty. He is a detriment to this offensive line. Before we get back into the podcast episode, got to tell everybody our sponsor, Vivid Seats, is still pumping out the quality product. If you head over and download the app, you automatically get enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, giving you – Credits back on each and every purchase that you make. Obviously, Andy and I have been diving in on this a number of occasions throughout the season. I don't know if you want to drag out a friend or family member to watch the Giants-Dolphins game coming up this weekend. But hey, we're talking about the last matchup, potentially, where you're going to see Eli Manning starting for the New York football Giants. So why not chomp down on a little bit of nostalgia and give yourself an opportunity to see the franchise QB, two-time Super Bowl winning, Eli Manning, get out there on the field one last time for Big Blue. You head over to the app. You can take a look at the seats, the rows, the exact section and view and perspective. Swivel that camera around. Take a look at what you're going to be seeing to your left and your right and make sure you're getting the best quality as you know you're going to get from Vivid Seats. And, of course, that's because they come with that 100% buyer guarantee. Been saying it all month long. I'm not guaranteed to have a quality Christmas dinner because, listen, some family members aren't the best cooks. But I am guaranteed 100% by Vivid Seats when I go through them. So when it's time to pick up those tickets for this Giants matchup, go ahead and use the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, at checkout to receive up to $100 off on that first purchase. Now, you're not going to probably get $100 off necessarily on the Giants game because I don't think these tickets are going to be that costly for you at this time of year. Nevertheless, Use promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, at checkout, and new users will receive up to $100 on their first purchase. Did that feel good? Yeah, it really did. I knew, I knew it was going to be a rant. haven't had one in a while, so yeah, I feel good. I, I, I feel all of those sentiments, and I can completely understand. And yes, it was, it was obvious during the game that even when they're bringing tight ends into chip and help Nate Solder out, he's still giving up sacks, and it, it was extremely frustrating. I actually am more frustrated with the second half performance of the defense against not even backups, but, but, but backups to backups of the Eagles. I mean, when you look at it, you know, Nelson Aguilar was ruled out. Alshon Jeffrey went down with a, with an ankle injury in the first half. Miles Sanders got hurt as well. Yeah. So you're talking about Boston Scott, Josh Perkins and JJ Ortega Whiteside. Yeah. And, 
And we're giving up 23 points, and they're marching down the field. And even in overtime, it was absolutely brutal. I don't understand how Betcher doesn't change up his strategies or find a way to, to do something other than just give up big plays to Zach Ertz and tight ends over the middle. No, and it, it was confounding. And it's funny how we both managed to get ourselves back to the things that we've been, that we've been harping on throughout the season. I've been hating Nate Soldier. You've been hating James Betcher and, and the defensive play. Um, and you're right, though, the, the, to give up, you know, in the second half and into that overtime to give up, uh, you know, what ends up being uh, 20, uh, 20 points instead of uh, 21 points. But you give up three scores, one in each quarter and then in overtime. You know, it, it just felt like, again, a lack of ability to make adjustments, like you said, to switch things up, give a different look, try something new. Um, the one thing they did do was having a rotation along the defensive front that seemed to be effective. And yet then you saw uh, Leonard Williams was not involved on that last series. Uh, regardless of that, it, it does lead us into the report from uh, Jordan Renan earlier today, highlighted again on Bleach Report as we just try to give credit where credit is due. The New York Giants head coach, Pat Shermer, is expected to be fired at the conclusion of the 2019 season, and general manager Dave Gettleman is, quote, in trouble, according to Jordan Renan. So, First, give me your, I mean, this it feels like it's foregone, right? We, we feel good that we're going to be moving on from uh, Pat Shermer and this entire coaching staff, right? I mean, this is a pretty simple one. That's pretty much what I think is going to happen. I don't think anything against the Eagles on Monday night changed what's happened the entire season. So, yes, I think the entire coaching staff is going to be gone by the end of the year. It, you know, if, if we're hearing reports now, th three, three weeks out, <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably not a tight kept secret. And so, yeah, my, my estimation is everyone will be gone. No clean house with the coaching staff. Right. So now you talk about the New York football giants, Dave Gettleman and the GM position. Now I've been not necessarily not harsh, not hardly defending him. Um, I, I've given a little bit of pushback because I like some of the young players this past game, past two games. Now, I think Julian Love is showing you some things that you like. DeAndre Baker actually had a very nice game again, albeit against some, some backup, uh, wide receivers and tight ends, but he looked like he was finding some consistency and rhythm over these last couple of games that gives you some positivity around him to think that he can be a guy uh, that the Giants can maybe still build around as we see what he does next season. The issue is, though, as I dove inside this and I want to get some natural reaction from you, you go back to 2018. Let me highlight Dave Gettleman in this regime, right? He comes in and the, here, here's just a list of players that the Giants, so what they did, they went ahead and uh, unrestricted free agents that they've signed. So they, they brought in Kareem Martin, Nate Soldier, okay, Patrick Omame on the offensive line, not with the team anymore. Curtis Riley, not with the team anymore. Now, some of these names are, you know, lo lower hanging fruit, certainly, and they're just roster depth guys. But still, Cody Latimer, then he got brought back again, and that was obvious, it's been to me a total wash, and we've highlighted about rookie players that deserve more opportunities than veterans that don't move the needle. Safety Michael Thomas, special teams contributor, I do like him. Scott Simonson, no show. Zach Karen, didn't even know he existed. Connor Barwin, one year and uh, out the door this past season. Leonard Johnson, didn't know he existed. Okay, so when you go through that list of players back in 2018, you think about how Kareem Martin played a season for us, got hurt, but then effectively was washed right down into the depth chart and looked as basically a non-entity this season. Omame was supposed to come in and play on the offensive line. Three-year, $15 million deal. He doesn't survive. I've already talked about Nate Soldier at length. 
So you're, now out of that entire group, the best guy that you're really pointing to in terms of results is probably safety Michael Thomas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drone on here for a second, Andy, but then you talk about after being cut by other teams, players that Dave Gellman brought in. Jonathan Stewart, we know about that. B.J. Webb, one and done. Josh Morrow, no show. William Gay, Alex Tanney, uh, Orion Stewart, Russell Shepard, okay. Special teams contributors, certainly. Uh, Nate Stuper at linebacker, one season, came back this year, cut midway through the year. Uh, and then John Jenkins at, no at nose tackle, never saw him play really much of a lick at all. So that's 2018, Andy. And all of a sudden, I think about how, man, these offseason moves that we're highlighting, he had a couple of big blunders in Jonathan Stewart, two years, nearly $7 million, and then Nate Soldier, and then even some of those smaller pieces really have not paid dividends at all. Reaction for you from 2018 before I go ahead and touch base on 2019. Yeah, I mean, so, so here's – hindsight is always 2020, and And that is I, fair. I, I, I do think that, you know, in a vacuum, when you look at all the results, none of them panned out well. I think obviously the big money signing of Nate Solder was was kind of a mixed reaction. You know, it happened because uh, Norwell from Carolina signed with Jacksonville, and the Giants were scrambling to kind of sign someone. Mm -hmm. And so while while Solder wasn't necessarily the best uh, left tackle available, he was the only left tackle available in Dave Gettleman's eyes. So uh, you know, he signed him to that deal. But when you talk about the impact that those players have made, it is blatantly obvious that they really did nothing for the New York Giants. So, uh, you know, when Jonathan Stewart was signed, I think every single Giant fan, I think across the board went, what? How? Yeah. What? Right? We're, we're, paying, we're paying that guy three, I think it was like $3 million or something for, for Jonathan Stewart. And then I don't even know if he got picked up or, you know, finished out anywhere else but no no he, yeah, he left 20 2018 looking back you know having a full year of reflection to see who we signed who's still around and who made an impact it is not looking good for Dave Gettleman yeah and so and this is really why I went back and did it because the thing that I was hanging my hat on a little bit was the draft so you go 2018 quickly we all know Saquon Barkley then you get Will Hernandez I think you know jury's still out on him I have my issues was of what's around him on the line that's contributing to his struggles potentially I'm actually higher on Lorenzo Carter than I think some other fans are. But then you get into the B.J. Hills, the Kyle Loletta fourth-round pick, swinging and miss waste there. And then also the R.J. McIntosh, two guys that last season you thought, okay, these are some pieces. Now all of a sudden you're already seeing them get washed away here in the depth chart, and now you're wondering what's going to happen to them going into the upcoming year. We quickly turn over to the 2019 uh, scorecard here as well. Just the highlight, as I said, you know, uh, exclusive, uh, moving down this list here real quick, just to say uh, they brought in. So you talked about, uh, let's see, they signed wide receiver Golden Tate, four-year, $37.5 million deal. Certainly you could raise some question marks about that, given his age and where the franchise currently sits, and then loses four games to a suspension. Then you talk about Marcus Golden. Now, he has been a net positive, I think, at 29 years old. Is this a guy that we're going to re-sign in free agency? I'll still take it as a positive because he's been a big contributor. Uh, Olsen Pierre had some injuries, basically buried on the depth chart, useless. Rod Smith, no show there in the running game. Players signed from other teams after being cut. Safety Antoine Bethea, two years, $6.5 That's a dud. Mike Remmers, 
one one year, 2.5. I'm not going to scoff at it too much, but you know he's not going to be back next year. Eric Tomlinson, a tight end, no. David Mayo, reasonable contributor. And then we signed during the season here uh, the linebacker, Dion Buchanan, who has basically been a non-impact guy as well when you talk about uh, you know what they've moved the needle on. I didn't do this for the 2018 season, but in terms of guys they signed off the street, as they say, uh, Javorius Allen, Britton Golden, TJ Jones, Malcolm Bunch, Chad Slade, all these names, you can go down this list. And listen, a lot of teams do this just to, when you have injuries come up, but there's not a single guy that you're going to pull off of there that resonates as being someone that's actually been a contributor for this team so now again you're talking about the players that you and by the way all those lists that i'd said in 2018 the josh morrows the nate stupers re-signed nate stuper he's been cut since then josh morrow never came back carry wing gone mario edwards gone uh you know john jenkins gone john greco gone J- jamon brown gone these are all offensive linemen i just named those last two guys probably forgot that they existed tony lippett landon collins obviously re- uh, you know signs with the washington redskins as well You know, so, I mean, the brief takeaway there, Andy, is probably not necessarily, you know, not having your doors blown off you there in terms of that uh, offseason for Dave Gettleman as well. Yeah, I I think what what you're highlighting and illustrating is exactly the problem. We haven't, you know, and and is the big concern, you know, the Giants are going to have almost 70 million in cap space uh, when some of the Odell money comes off, Eli Manning's money, money comes off. And so far with some of these different signings, uh, you know, Dave Gettleman has not shown that he knows what to do with that money. Yeah. And that, and that really, then that actually is, that is the biggest concern here because, and I will do it as we all know, uh, just about Daniel Jones this year, you, you bring in Dexter Lawrence. I think he's a hit. DeAndre Baker jury's out could be a big swing and a miss there. Certainly. Uh, and then when you get into the back end of this draft, I think that X-Men O'Shea uh, uh, Zimenez is going to be a hit for us as well. And then as you move down that list, uh, who else did we end up taking there on the back end? Uh, oh, the, what was it? Uh, Who's our linebacker that got injured? Uh, Ryan Connolly. Yeah, so Ryan Connolly's in the mix there as well. Some nice hits, some you know, some nice pieces that came across the board. But to your point, my concern is, and this goes back even to the Jerry Reese era, getting to free agency, having money, and then just violently throwing it around to try to fix a team that needs to be rebuilt from the bones up. And I think through the draft, we've seen bits and pieces of that on this roster. But now I am concerned. If it's Dave Gettleman that still remains as the GM for this team this offseason, now you're talking about are you going to throw money at a 28, 29-year-old cornerback to give you a you know, quote lockdown corner that in a year or two is going to be another situation like Janoris Jenkins where you know, you're paying someone for, for performance from three, four years ago? What are you going to do with this edge rusher? Are we going to give a big contract? to Marcus Golden at 29 years old, coming off of, you know, came off an injury, played nice for us, has some good numbers, certainly, but is he worth, a, you know, a $15 million a year contract that by the time it's over, he'll be 33, 34 years old, and we're not ready to compete for championships for another two, three years? So these are the concerns that I have now, and it starts to move me in the direction of saying, if you're getting rid of, if you're getting rid of Pat Shermer and this coaching staff, I think you have to make that decision to say, some hits in the draft, and that's great. But we have too important of an offseason coming up to leave it in the hands of you know, a veteran GM that hasn't necessarily shown the last couple of seasons his ability. Now, you can make the case that this is what it's been building towards, right? Towards this offseason with all of this money, and this is when it all happens. But now we're already talking about moving on from a coaching staff. So how do we know which way to look here when it comes to the Mares and the Titians? But and, and Adam, I think the, the one other thing that you can highlight, and I'm in a com- 
complete agreement with you here. It, 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 I, I look at the head of the snake as Dave Gettleman. And if we're going to chop off Pat Shermer, I think Gettleman is a logical choice and, and we can start fresh. You didn't even mention some of the in-season trades and off-season trades that uh, Gettleman has, has uh, pulled off as well. Trading for Alec Ogletree and taking on all that money when the Rams just didn't want to pay him. Uh, you know, trading for Leonard Williams and, and giving up so much draft capital when the team isn't in win now mode, um, and now having to sign him potentially to a massive offseason extension. Yeah, these, these, even the trades, never mind the draft and the free agency, hasn't really been that successful. Now, I will give him credit that uh, trading Odell got us Zeitler. You know, it, it, show, uh, you know, it shored up the offensive line a little bit, it got us Drew Peppers, who has been. Uh, pretty good in the safety position. Um, it did allow us to get towards, uh, you know, our, our second uh, draft pick for Dexter Lawrence. So there are yeah. some, you know, there, there, there was a, a decent return on that, I, I think. But overall, I think you're 100% right. If we're going to be revamping this whole thing, I think it starts with the GM and we got to get someone in that has a new fresh idea on what to make of this roster. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the last little piece of this, and obviously we'll wrap this one up, and then as we were discussing before we got on here together, uh, we're going to go ahead and come back to you on Sunday morning. We're trying to line up a little feature here uh, before we get into that Miami Dolphins game. So we will be coming again. Uh, we got some positive feedback on that Sunday morning podcast. So we're going to do that again this week. So we won't dive in uh, really on the game ahead in this one. But the offensive line, I think I could forgive a lot of some of the misfires and what have you if – you were looking at this offensive line after two full years and saying, okay, we're ready, you know, we're ready to move forward with this line and be, you know, a top 15 moving towards a top 10 offensive line over the next season or two. Uh, the issue is, you know, we know we have a, a Safa FO, you know, maybe he's going to come back from the injury next year. And he's a project by the way, a late round pick. But outside of that, when you look across this line, I'm not going to belabor it, but you know, Nate soldier is an older, is an older player, 29, going to be 30 years old. You have Will Hernandez, Jalapio has been a miss and is also a 27, 28 year old center. You have Zeitler and then you have Remmers on the outside on this one year deal. It's going to be gone. So, you know, two years later, the offensive line hasn't improved. And that's supposed to be the area that you really excel at. If you're Dave Gettleman, that's probably the biggest indictment I have on him is that you haven't made the moves, whether it is through free agency or through the draft specifically to start to build this, this line back up. And the fact that over these last couple of years, even if it was, uh, we want to win with Eli Manning that first season. Okay, fine. So then why aren't you spending more high-round high draft picks trying to fix this offensive line with young talent instead of going with guys that, as we've seen, when they leave the New York football giants, they, become, they go on to become backups. They don't go on to start other places. So that's probably my biggest, my biggest indictment on Gettleman is that he hasn't done the thing that he is supposed to be known for, fixing the team in the trenches. And it speaks to what you said. Um, needing probably a younger mind, a fresher perspective, and an understanding that while, yes, you do win on the, in the trenches, I still believe in that. I think there are different ways to go about that, especially uh, defensively. And then you talk about when you need to go do it on the offensive side of the ball that Gettleman maybe is coming up a little bit short on. The easiest way to sum this up is that we are in the bottom third in yards passing, yards rushing, points for – and points against, and <laughs> yards against. So literally, there is not a single category that you look at us and you say right now, oh, that is the area that is our strength, and we will continue to build around that. Now, Daniel Jones has had flashes, but still, we still are only scoring about 16 points a game. So 
you know, I, I look at it when Dave Gettleman took over, you know, there was the whole mess of benching Eli Manning with Ben mm -hmm. McAdoo and Geno Smith. And we won five games that year. Are we in a better position two years later after Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer have been here? And I, I don't think we are. Yeah, and that's probably the biggest problem too, right? We, we, we look at this team, and one of the things that you've been hearing about there now too, some people are saying, if you're going to move on in a new regime, uh, I think it was what, uh, Todd McShay, be, and now again, because he wasn't a fan of the Daniel Jones draft pick, and he still isn't, but he's even suggesting that if you get a new regime in here, you might consider going quarterback in the draft coming up. And not, not that I would agree with it, but I can understand why a new GM and a new regime and a new coaching staff, what if they don't want Daniel Jones? So in terms of are we any better off, have we progressed at all? It really would depend on that piece of it. If you're telling me the franchise quarterback is here, as I, I think you can build around Jones, but if a no, new regime doesn't feel that way, then this, this two-year run, two-and-a-half-year run from Dave Gettleman is a complete disaster because all you've done is spend a, a second overall pick on a running back that's going to be in his fourth year in the league on a team that has, hasn't even gotten 10 wins over three seasons and you don't have a new franchise quarterback and the lines are a mess and we're ranking, you know, I mean, yeah, you're ranking worst in almost all statistical categories. So, you know, th this really could just be a strike the match and let the, you know, house of straw go up in a blaze here because that feels like what you're on the verge of. And it all hinges on whether or not the moves that the Tishes and the mares make this off season still involve Daniel Jones being the future. If he is not the franchise quarterback, then this has been just beyond a dumpster fire from a New York Giants fan perspective. And then you're talking about being a solid four seasons away from being able to be competitive because you are down to the nuts and bolts of rebuilding. The one last question I have uh, on this topic, specifically about Dave Gettleman, is the more that we talk about it, the more it makes me think, you know, we traded for Leonard Williams. We gave up draft ca capital to do so. We did not trade some of our veterans like Janoris Jenkins that have uh, reasonable contracts that other teams uh, may want, you know, for their second or third corner for, for a postseason run. Do you think that Dave Gettleman at the trade deadline was legitimately thinking, I have to win a couple of games and I can't trade away assets or else I'm going to get fired? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't I would tend to think no, that like that that it wasn't that his job security wasn't going to be attached to this, but I think he almost did himself a disservice by making, say, the Leonard Williams trade trade at the time. I thought, well, okay, if you plan on reciting him, et cetera, et cetera, it, it, maybe it's okay. But now when you look at it, and this is also based on because I didn't think Leonard Williams was going to, you know, be garnering a max contract, which seems like that's what he wants now. So now you're talking about maybe moving on from him. We have to get into the details on them getting a compensatory pick for him and then how that basically maybe you gave up a fifth round pick to have a test run with him. And I wouldn't love it, but I wouldn't necessarily be disgusted by it. But that move. I don't know. Like, it, it just seems like, again, we've talked about this before, that, that, that the franchise is moving in eight different directions, right? Gettleman is trying to make moves that feather between winning now and winning later. Pat Shermer is coaching like a guy that has everything to play for this season, even though they've only won two games. So it's really hard to get a grip on what these moves are supposed to indicate. Uh, the George Jenkins piece, I think, is simply because teams would rather not I guess you could have done it this year and given something up. I bet that they could have gotten the fifth or sixth round pick for him. Maybe the Giants didn't want to do it. But now you're talking about the offseason. They'll cut him and someone will sign him to a new contract, and that'll be that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Did Maybe you see the latest? Right. 
did you see the latest uh, with Janoris Jenkins? I think t- there was the last straw for pretty much all Giant fans where he kind of uh, used a derogatory slur. Uh, yes. Heard some fans on Twitter. And the team spoke to him and told him that it was wildly inappropriate. And at his press conference today, he basically said, and, and I quote, that's hood talk, uh, and defended the language that he was using that was highly offensive. I mean, it's one of those things where you knew it was volatile. He, you know, he, he's chatting, you know, he's, he's popping, you know, his, his chatter off about how he needs to be roaming the field like a number one cornerback. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and then he's doing this on social media to, to different fans. I mean, man, if they could have gotten a fifth-round draft pick for Janoris Jenkins to ship him off and, and save some cap space and get some draft assets, I would have been all for it. And now, like you said, it, it, there is a very likely possibility he gets cut. He might even get cut before the end of the year at this point. Yeah, and why not? You know, I mean, let some. I wouldn't care. Pick someone up off the street and plug them in there at this point. And I, I defended him for a while, not in terms of things he was saying off the field because he hadn't had too many issues, but just that I thought, hey, he's a veteran player. He's been on bad teams. He keeps going out there and trying to work. I think he's been okay. You know, whatever. Been one of the better rated corners for us. Not saying a lot, but no. Ultimately, I, I think you you should be. And that this is what they highlighted about getting the you know the bad apples out of the locker room. You know, trying to rebuild this culture. And then when you have Jenkins with comments like this and things around it, you start to think, okay, so what are we talking about here? The, you still stuck around with him. So that certainly plays a role in this as well. Um, you know, and then just to touch on this real quick too, the more I think about that Leonard Williams move and, and trading for him, you can question it on a lot of levels. But what I ultimately look at is saying, so all you've done here necessarily is if you wanted to sign him in the offseason for a max tra- contract, you could have gone and done it. Um, even maybe you have to outbid somebody else, certainly. But what you have done is you've eliminated the opportunity for guys like McIntosh and BJ Hill to get more reps and try to identify what you think about them because they are young talent and you still do have them under the rookie deals. And instead, you're giving reps to a veteran player, 25, 26 years old, that is going to free agency. And suddenly you're making a a very complicated offseason now because you don't know if you should move on from BJ Hill, right? You're not, not, you're not entirely sure. He didn't show you a lot this season, took a step back. Okay. But you don't know now because now he hasn't had enough reps. McIntosh, I, I assume because he was buried on the depth chart, they don't like him and they're going to move on from him. But these are commodities that you haven't defined much in the way that you've seen Baker play. And at least you, you're starting to understand what he is for better or worse. You're starting to know who these players are. Same thing with the Grant Haley, right? He has looked bad this season. He's gotten beaten up. Okay, now you can check the box knowing what he is for you and what you need to replace in the offseason. So from that angle, I think Gettleman has done a disservice to the, to the team overall, not necessarily knowing what you need to do, unless you're going to tell me, you know, across the board, we knew none of these players are going to be good for us. And then it goes back into your drafts and the mistakes that you made. So um, it's just brutal, man. It really is. And I think obviously I'll, I'll apologize to the fans because I know they love the balance in our podcast when we go back and forth. And I have not given a lot of space for that this episode, but it, it, a lot of these things are coming to a head. The more that I'm diving inside the off season moves, the draft picks and the way that Gettleman and the organization are talking about outside of every which way of their mouth. But Adam, I, I know that our fans love when, when we have a little bit of back and forth, but I think all fans can agree that this is kind of the direction that uh, everything needs to go and that we do need a new rebuild. I think there's very few fans that are on the opposite side. Um, and, you know, what, what I think is going to be interesting is figuring out what's going to happen in the last three games of the season. I mean, all reports are indicating that Eli Manning is likely to start again against the Dolphins, even though Daniel Jones is throwing and running around in practice. Yep. There's just a lot of, of things going on right now with the, from the GM to the coaching staff making mistakes to the players um, pop, you know, doing ridiculous things on social media. 
it's a tough, tough situation. But what I do think is nice is if we do get Eli Manning, we we're going to get him one more time at home against the Dolphins on Sunday. Yeah, and I will be looking forward to that. And that is that is the silver lining is getting to see again my the quarterback that I grew up on as a New York Football Giants fan who gave us two Super Bowl championships, who gave us two incredible playoff runs. So I will be looking forward to that if he if he is in fact under center for us on Sunday. And uh, the other little footnote is that even if we beat the Dolphins, as long as we were to lose to the Washington Redskins, we can still lock ourselves into that top two pick. So it means that we, we can give Eli Manning this victory to send him off at home here and then still feel like we're doing ourselves a, a justice on the back end heading into the 2020 draft. I think we can cap that one here. We, we will be back in on Sunday, as I mentioned, diving into that, uh, that Dolphins matchup, hopefully with some exciting information that we'll throw out on social media as soon as we confirm it. Andy, they can follow us on social media, as they all know, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at One Giant Podcast. They can head over to iTunes, download, rate, review, subscribe, get the auto downloads going as we build this little engine that could. Anything you want the people to know? No, I'm, I'm excited uh, at the potential of seeing Eli Manning coming back again. Uh, we'll have a better idea on Sunday morning, which I think is great for us to give our predictions. Um, I was pretty close to, on, on the Eagles one. I, I think I was only a couple points off. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back out and, and having everybody have a listen on Sunday morning. By the way, I got Chesty on uh, the, the Chiefs pick that I had. I, I destroyed it in our bonus picks last podcast. I don't know if anyone cares to know about that, but I was, I was eating you alive, my friend. Oh, yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I'm excited to get back on that one as well. So we'll definitely be giving out a couple more picks on Sunday morning. You got it, friends. We will see you bright and early on Sunday. NFL action on the way. As always, this has been One Giant Podcast. Podcast.